welcome to the Pit Stop Podcast, your fast-paced podcast for Formula One news and analysis. Throughout the Formula One season, we will be recapping every race as well as breaking down the biggest stories on and off the track, all before setting you up for the next race on the Formula One schedule. Whether you're a seasoned Formula One fan or you have just discovered the rush of racing, this podcast has something for you. Okay, here we go. Welcome back here to the, the, what season are we on? I guess second season of the Pit Stop podcast and um, third season of my interest to Formula One. We are joined by Jordan Deller-Coleman and uh, our very special guest from last season is joining us uh, in a full-time role, Tyler Walzak. How are you guys doing? Oh, nobody wanted to go first. <laughs> I was like, I was like, Jordan, you have the right to go first, but I guess I'm going to step in here. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here for the full season. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's very exciting to have Tyler here. Very excited to be back doing this with you, Braden. Obviously, really excited about the, like the new format. We've got our own feed. Uh, I'm just really excited for Formula One. I, I'm more excited, I think, for Formula One than I am even for like the rest of the hockey season. Like, I'm so ready. <laughs> For Formula yeah, One been, to be back. You've been very excited. You've been very, very excited. Tyler, how excited have you been for uh, this upcoming season? Not, not excited. <laughs> uh, Does that have I, anything to do with the way that the season ended last yeah, year? Yeah, and I feel like we haven't had enough time to digest it yet. I It mm-hmm. feels like our last podcast to go pre- or review the last season, it was in December, but it feels like it was not that long ago. I, I was not excited for this season. I am now that like we're getting close to to practice one on on Wednesday. Um, I, yeah, no, I'm I'm a little excited now. So uh, Jordan mentioned just a moment ago. Jordan, why don't you why don't, why don't you run us through a little bit of what uh, listeners have to expect from a, a brand new platform for the Pit Stop Podcast? Yeah, well, so exactly that. Um, we did this as like a little experiment last year kind of piggybacking on the hat trick sports podcast feed. It was sort of you and I at the beginning thinking this would be kind of fun to talk formula one. And we didn't really want to kind of continually wedge it into the other show. So we thought, Hey, race weeks, we can do a little like recap show. It was fun. It kept the energy going throughout the week, especially when there was like, you know, little season gaps and stuff. We had stuff to talk about. So that's what we did. It got a lot of great feedback. People were excited about it. Tyler obviously joined us at the end of last season for the big sort of season wrap up show, as he mentioned, because it was such a train wreck at the end of the year that we just we all wanted to vent and 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 share our thoughts. So it was awesome. And I think the dynamic of the three of us really gave the show kind of a new energy. So we thought at the network, we thought, hey, let's give it its own feed and give it its own sort of space. So, yeah, it's going to be our Tuesday show now. We've got hat trick on Mondays and this will be our Tuesday show on race weeks and on Wednesdays, we've got basketball and pretty soon we'll have a show every day of the week. So as a network, we're really excited to have it. Uh, Tyler, uh, you just mentioned you were still, it seems like you were still not over the events that took place uh, from last season, the way that uh, Red Bull, I don't know if you can even say one, but as, as per the way that it turned out, they were the, they were the world champions of the uh, 2021 season, formula one season. Uh, Where, where are you with that? How, how do you feel today? I know how you felt when it just happened. Um, How are you feeling about uh, the way that everything ended and where, where we sit now? 
Uh, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm still not happy with the way it ended. I'm not over it. Uh, I, I know that Massey is out. We'll get into that as the uh, race director and they've kind of come up with kind of a new system and, and dealing with that. But I don't know if it's a better system. It's a different system. It's an untested system. Um, I don't know what the repercussions of, the repercussions of that will be, what the difficulties of that will be. They're basically rotating a guy with a senior advisor or rotating two guys and having a senior advisor. And it's just, I, I, w- I want to get back to racing. And I know that there's a new car this year that was supposed to be out last year to help even the field. Um, but COVID set that back another year. So this is the year that these new cars are revealed, which does make it more exciting, which has, that is the reason I'm kind of getting back into it. It's supposed to bring guys back together into racing, but I mean, there's going to be controversy. That's the nature of every sport. This sport is not, um, is not free from that. So I'm just wondering what that controversy will be. Is this whole talk, like if Lewis and Max crash this weekend in the first race, this whole this whole season is is like could start with just a, a massive uh bang which is is exciting it's just I, I still have that sour taste in my mouth and i just hope we have a great race that is kind of free from from controversy so for those who aren't familiar with what took place uh, at the end of the season jordan why don't you just give them a little rundown of oh what they missed just a brief rundown of what Read they it. Yeah, I feel like I'm opening old wounds. Um, yeah, so basically we had a pretty epic season last year, right from the start. You know, it was it's been, you know, seven years in a row for the Mercedes team, the constructor as is just dominating. They've won eight, they they had won seven, they now have won eight championships in a row from the constructor's title. So really it's been the era of Mercedes and Red Bull, who of course won three championships um in a row with Vettel. Uh, over a decade ago have been trying desperately to catch Mercedes for this, this whole period of time. And, and, and they've really been struggling. So last year at the beginning of the season, it became very clear that they had a car with pace that had the ability probably to compete, if not really push Mercedes. And as you know, that round of off season practices came out, it became clear that Mercedes was a little bit behind the eight ball and, and off went Red Bull um, out of the gates really, really well. And Mercedes was kind of on the back foot. And then we had this like title fight round by round through the entire season of Lewis Hamilton and Max. And, you know, just as one would get sort of a lead that looked like it was, you know, going to kind of build to be insurmountable. The other guy all of a sudden would go on a run of, of, of wins. And, and all of a sudden we were seeing a swing in the title race and all the way up to the end, you know, Lewis had got out to a lead, then Max got out to a lead, and then Lewis came storming back in the last few races, and we ended up literally tied on points going into Abu Dhabi um, in a way that we'd never seen a final. It was set up to be like the perfect F1 finale. You know, we talked about how dramatic the the penultimate race was before that, where we'd had, you know, penalties and 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 uh situations where there was miscommunication and and teams uh, you know max had to give up his spot twice to lewis near the end of the race and lewis was able to win it tie it all up we will go into abu dhabi expecting fireworks we certainly got them right off the hop you know lewis um kind of went off the track and took a position that some people certainly red bull felt wasn't fair but from that point on lewis never looked back he dominated the race he led the race um max struggled to catch up you know sergio perez did the best he could to sort of slow lewis down for a little while to get that close that gap but even then lewis just the mercedes car was faster they loved that track they were they were destined for you know lewis's eighth and record-setting 
world championship. And it was, everything was right until I believe five laps to the end where unfortunately Nicholas Latifi, who was racing what you could argue is like, didn't really matter position in, in the middle of the table, but as a driver for a team that was desperate to get any points they could, you know, was still, was still fighting with one of their chief rivals uh, in an Alfa Romeo. And, and he made a, you know, a move and caught, caught a, you know, a bit of rubber on the side of the track, lost traction, crashed. And all of a sudden the whole race was up in the air because we had a safety car. The safety car procedures uh, usually dictate that the lapped cars are given an opportunity to unlap themselves that first was said it would not happen, which was controversial to begin with. Um, obviously, both Toto Wolf and Christian Horner were yelling and screaming at Michael Massey, trying to get their side of the, um, you know, sort of what they wanted for their team to, to, to happen. Uh, I guess Christian Horner was more persuasive because Michael Massey decided to allow the uh, lapped cars between Lewis and Max to unlap themselves, but only those cars, which was incredibly uh, unprecedented and it, you know literally broke the 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 rules of how their the safety car protocol is laid out but that's what happened so then we had two drivers going head to head lewis on old tires 20 something lap old tires and uh well i'm getting angry just saying it and max was <laughs> on brand new tires brief discussion yeah <laughs> and and as far as michael massey i believe was concerned he thought it was one last lap of racing and that yeah. was a better way for the championship to be decided but it wasn't a fair fight and and uh, max with his new fresh tires and the advantage that he had there took the lead and won won the world championship with a huge asterisk attached to it and that's how it finished and everyone i think unless again you were a devoted red bull fan or and or worked for the company sat back and went what the hell did we just see because this is this is wrong this isn't it shouldn't have worked this way and then of course you know the the real drama unfolded post-race still and is. That, yeah that's right go ahead Tyler. it still is unfolding i mean i don't as much as i'm not over it as much as jordan who clearly is still not over it the, these race drivers aren't over it either. Mercedes is not over it. Red Bull knows about it. They know that it's, this is lingering over the first race. It's this isn't finished yet, yeah, no. and I don't think it will be finished until this season's over. Yeah. However, all that to say, we have seen now certain things take place. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, both of you, Michael Massey, racing director for the last two years, is out. He is not the guy in charge of how these races are going to unfold. We now have Niels Wittick, current DTM race director, Eduardo Freites, current race director of the World Endurance Championship, who is now assisted by Herbie Blash, who used to be in this position, uh, as well as a new implementation of a virtual race control room, uh, which we haven't seen in this sport. So we've got further development of that. Uh, we have had... Uh, current drivers in support of Massey not losing his position. Um, it, do you guys think that this was the right thing to do for Formula One? Is Michael Massey deserve? I mean, I think I already know the answer to this. Is Michael Massey deserving of losing his job as a race director? But further, do you think that something like a virtual system will support uh, the, the sport as it moves forward when it comes to these kinds of decisions i mean it's it's so it's so you know we saw like you said jordan mercedes and red bull were just inundating michael massey with with messages that seem to have compromised his position do you think that moving forward we are in a better place 
with the changes that have taken place? Um, I well, yes, he deserved to be fired. Uh, he blatantly ignored rules that are set in place by the FIA um, and changed an outcome of an entire season, which is, I still feel like that should be looked into. Uh, I believe that it probably is, but in terms of uh, the race control and the video assist and stuff, it's been proven to work in other sports. Yeah. Um, and it, I, I just hope it doesn't slow anything down, which I don't think it will, but um, it, it has been proven to work. If you have a team that's watching things, then, uh, then yeah, it's, it's, it makes sense. Like technology is part of everything now. Why wouldn't it be a, be a part of this? Yeah. I mean, sure. There's just, so yeah, the two questions are, does Michael Massey deserve to lose his job? Yes. Uh, based on the results of that. But I think also like, to be completely honest, um, I think Michael Massey was, was in over his head for most of the season, I think because of just the situation that they had put him in, he was in a position to fail. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, that's what ended up happening. And he, you know, when you're in that high a position in any sport and this kind of thing happens, um, there's no there's no margin for error and there's no sort of recourse other than this. The changes they've made, I hope, are steps in the right direction. We won't know until we see, you know, some controversial decision having to be made because that always happens. You know, every race has one or two decisions that, you know, always leave people kind of going, wait, what? Because that's just how this sport goes. And again, it's very fast, right? As Tyler says, he doesn't want to slow it down. I don't know how they could. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit confused by exactly what this VR room is going to do, considering the fact that the, like the stewards room right now is all virtual. Anyway, they're all sitting watching Mm -hmm. a thousand camera angles. It's not like they're sitting watching the track live. Uh, There's too much for them, too much information for them to have to consume anyway. Now, to have a second group of people doing that, that perhaps are are separated enough from the immediate decision making that they have a clearer head or a different perspective, that would be great. I'm not exactly sure how it would work, but we'll wait and see. Well, not even just being separated from other decision makers, being separated from the team principals. I don't know why these guys are allowed to have open conversations with essentially the official of the race like doesn't happen in other sports in football you see the players being pushed away the coach is being pushed away like hey hey this has nothing to do with you this is a referee decision you see it in hockey in in boxing the the teams aren't allowed to talk to the judges like i don't know why in race they have a button to directly talk to michael massey and of course you're going to influence him like he's he's already under a lot of pressure so how is that going to make his decision any any um well and i think that's I, I think that that's true. I think the key thing there that I think has also been like missed a little bit in, in how people understand this situation and maybe just in general, how this sport is sort of officiated. If I don't know if that's the right term for it, but you have this room, you know, that you have the marshals who are the guys on the track, making sure the flags are waved and all that stuff. And then you have the stewards upstairs who are the ones overseeing and making those decisions. And then you have a race director and technically all the race director is doing is keeping all of those officials on the same page and managing the safety and overall sort of function of the race. Michael Massey shouldn't be the one making these kind of decisions independently because it's not actually his job. His job is to ensure that the right information goes to the stewards who make the determinations about penalties, who make the determinations about whether or not a, 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 you know an overtake was legal or not, and, and, and assessing all of that information. They do that. He sort of manages that room. And in most races, his job is simply to communicate that information to the team so that they can communicate 
the correct information to their drivers. And it's only done that way for the efficiency of it, right? They have to get the information as quickly as they can to a car that may have overtaken so he can give back the position. That's what Michael Massey's job is supposed to be. And that's why I think there originally was an established communication with team principals so that they could have a clear line of communication. Obviously, though, the level of influence that that allowed for is a huge cause of of the the mixed information and communication he manages a situation like a safety car because it should be more than anything just a technicality it isn't about whether or not there's interpretation it should be that black and white when we have a car that needs that that has an incident that needs to be cleared up and the track is no longer safe we implement a safety car the cars all bunch up there's a protocol that fall, like it literally should be that black and white there shouldn't be any conversation that's why i think this became such a controversy because it literally was the reinterpretation of ironclad simple you know uh, yeah. uh, systems that fall and apart. with and with this new the new rules and the new race directors and stuff, it they have changed that. So you cannot yeah. have direct communication with the race director as a team yeah. principal. You have to go through a, basically a bouncer at the door who will give notes to them after. So the race director and the um, principals will not be talking this season um, during the races, which thank yeah, God. Which I think is a good, it definitely shows you that sure. the, the system was flawed, right? Before. For so, sure. Yeah. yeah. Big changes. Good changes though. Well, hopefully we'll see. I guess that's we'll the question mark. Yeah, we'll see. So I want to touch on something here. The the Formula One as a brand is has probably out of all of the other sports, I think one of the best uh, has one of the best marketing teams in terms of learning the sport, in terms of uh, reaching new audiences, but specifically their relationship with Netflix and what they've done with Drive to Survive has created this. Imme- I mean, we've talked about it on the show. It's created this immense. Uh, um, following uh just by being able to be behind the scenes you want to know what happens in the locker room oftentimes you want to know what's happening behind the scenes so being able to watch specifically what you guys are talking about which is you know toto wolf and 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 horner and and uh and zach brown be able to uh call the shots and call the sport it's really really fun to watch I want to know what you guys have felt so far watching Drive to Survive in terms of what what has changed from what you guys watched from the last season to what now you're seeing behind the scenes. Well, for me, it's I know what happens. So when they talk about something, I go, okay, they're talking about this. Okay, they're talking about that. And I've actually, watching this new season, it's kind of been like, why aren't they talking about this? Or why aren't they talking about that aspect, it seems like it's kind of a small part. I still have a couple episodes left, so maybe they're going somewhere with it. But um, the first few seasons got me into it, and they did a great job at using a dramatic storyline to explain the rules to somebody who didn't know the rules. Because any sport, you are not going to pay attention until you know the rules. And mm-hmm. once you know the rules, it becomes more exciting. And that's what Drive to Survive initially did for me, was I got to know who, um, where, and why. And once I knew why things were happening, it was like, okay, now I'm, this is, I like this person and I like that person. And, and they obviously have their own narratives and their own storylines, whether they're completely fabricated or just kind of like a little bit um, um, exaggerated. It's now it's kind of like, to me, it's a recap. I watch every race. So I know, um, I know what's going to happen. And the only interesting part to me is, not the only interesting, but the most interesting part is 
now I know exactly what's being said in those emotional moments, because before you're talking, like there are so many races where it's just Lewis and Max and they're just following them around the track for a little bit, but you don't know what's happening with the seventh, eighth place or the 10th spot for the last points. And then now we're seeing it again for those pivotal points. We're actually listening to what's going on in, and Sunata's head or, or how uh, Ocon's doing with uh, his, his new relationship with his team, um, his teammate. So to me, it's more about listening to what they're saying as the season unfolds compared to what um, the announcers are saying in front of our faces watching a race. You almost want to see the Netflix series uh, in conjunction with the, the races each week. I feel yeah. like I, w- I want it now. You know, I, I want to know what's happening now. In ter- it, it, instead of, you know, watching it back and just being frustrated or not wanting to see how that mm-hmm. world championship ended, right? Jordan, yeah. uh, for you, in terms of, you know, for both of us watching drive to survive that really got us into the sport as i'm sure it has for a lot of different f1 fans now has it changed though now that you know what to expect you know the teams you know the athletes has the season four of drive to survive changed from season one for you sure yeah obviously um yeah i mean that's what got me into the sport in the first place was season one i watched season one i think um like I watched it right when it first came out. So I, I, you know, I wasn't, um, so I've watched each season since in the same way, Tyler, I think just described this one where like once I watched season one, I started watching formula one and followed the next season. I already was in that game of, it became a recap. However, I will say that like, you know, it's, it's a reality television show and it, it, that's just its design and structure. They've put live cameras in with people in live situations and certain parts of it are obviously, you know, staged for effect. And and there's certainly a lot of that, you know, they're following a guy climbing a mountain as a dramatic, you know, (laughs) set piece so that it's a little more interesting than the footage they already have and, and things like that. All of these metaphors and things that they're trying to exaggerate. It's a reality television show. And I do think that I have maybe lost a little bit of the like excitement or energy that I had earlier watching it just because I think my understanding also, like Tyler said, is, has, has grown so much that it isn't fresh, but I would also say I I'm really just disappointed overall in the production of season four. Honestly, I don't think it's as it's, it's as tight a, a show. I don't think it's shot as well. I don't think they seem to have as much access perhaps as they previously did. I don't know if they only went to like four or five races, but it really feels like each episode keeps doubling back on itself to the same, the same app, the sort of sort of the same races, but just with a different character sort of leading us through it, which I don't know. I, I, I'd have to go back and look, but I don't remember earlier seasons feeling quite so um, scripted yeah and choppy yeah exactly but also it's interesting we were in monaco a lot so far yeah at least from what i've seen yeah and monaco's a beautiful place to shoot yeah exactly (laughs) it's interesting too to see it's interesting too there's like this term in reality tv where you talk about like how who gets what edit right and um and how they're not necessarily manipulated but how they're they're presented through the edit and there's definitely some interesting editing right we, we we've got a very different perspective i think on lando norris than we previously had we have a very different perspective on yuki Sonoda than we previously had obviously every other episode is going to be mercedes versus red bull because that's really the only storyline they have but somehow even through all of that oh well i know what bottas has a great edit bottas has been edited to be like the ultimate teammate and and, and they've really made him look polished right they they definitely took care of him and george russell both of those two definitely were given very you know uh, positive edits 
in contrast to some others. But yeah. it feels like for such an amazingly exciting season, it's an incredibly boring it is. season of Drive it to is, Survive. It feels fake because like there's a scene where Zach Brown is playing hockey oh. and his teammates on the bench are like, so how about uh, what's the card? Yeah. Oh, no, very oh, reality. That TV. is not yeah. what you're talking about. When you're playing <laughs> hockey. You are yeah. out there. You're talking <laughs> shit about some player on the ice. Like, no, that doesn't happen. Like it's, it's Jerry Hollowell and, yeah. and yeah. And Christian Horner, like on horseback, walking around like seven different yeah. uh, uh, camera yeah. angles on them. Like just show <laughs> us the cars, just show yeah. us the cars. Yeah. You got and us already. You know, it's funny because I showed um I showed some people who had never seen the show before um the Man on Fire episode from last season, right? Obviously the Roman Grosjean crash. But when you actually watch that as just a piece of television, and I'm getting a little into the weeds here, but when you actually just watch that singular episode as a piece of television, you have this amazingly dramatic event which is the crash you know literally a man on fire stepping out of that car he should never have been getting out of that's a huge thing but what they've actually done to the narrative of that episode is pair it with sergio perez who over the course of two weekends literally had one of the craziest roller coaster rides of anyone finds out he's not coming back to their team because they've signed sebastian vettel all of a sudden he doesn't have a seat and needs to find a seat he struggles in the first Bahrain race because his car breaks down. If you remember, it actually caught fire near the end of that race too. So he doesn't even get points for his team. It looks like he's just lost all opportunity. Alex Albon, who's driving the seat he wants, I think finished either on the podium or like fourth or fifth. He has a week off and then they're back at the same racetrack and he goes into the first lap, gets tagged by Leclerc, drops all the way to the very last spot, 19th on, for, for the first lap. He's in last spot at the end of the first lap. He wins the race. That's an amazing story. And the episode is called Man on Fire. And you, you have to tell me, is Roman Grosjean the man on fire or is Sergio Perez the man on fire? And that's really, really what I think captured the imagination of people watching the show. There is nothing close That's to that true. quality of television in season four. And you had yeah. all of this drama to dig from. That's what's disappointing. Yeah. That is disappointing. That's disappointing. And let's hope that this upcoming season is far from disappointing. Okay. I'm going to hit, uh, we're going to, we're going to shift gears here. <laughs> we got three more. We got three more things here. I want to touch on, on the off season before jumping into a brand new segment for everybody. Uh, we're going to hit some off, se- off season news here. Haas has completely removed Nikita Mazepin from their team. Um, I want to know from you guys, obviously, you know, uh, what's going on in the world today with Russia and their invasion of, the U- of, of Ukraine has impacted the decision of that. Is Haas a better team without, Mag- uh, without Mazepin introducing Kevin Magnuson? And what is the F? That's right, reintroducing. But what's F? What's F1's role in this situation in, as as it stands for the, the world? I mean, it's it's a very. I don't think we're seeing this in other sports. Uh, removing a player, I think, I think it it uh, it's it speaks volumes. Uh, um, just what are your thoughts on this, Tyler? Well, I think the they, the right thing they did was get rid of the Russian Grand Prix right away. Um, I think the F1 did the that was the right step uh, to begin with. And then Haas removing the, uh, their livery, which was the, basically the Russian flag colors, also the right step. 
Um, and then it just led to other things. Like the more you find out about the Mazepin family, the more it's not okay for um, them to kind of have this seat. They didn't deserve the seat to begin with. Um, and the way I think it kind of worked out perfectly, the way that F1 has been going in terms of owning a team, your, your money, like you're, you're only getting value out of this from now on from between drive to survive and what's happening. So Gene Haas, who is the owner of the team is he keeps getting like the Andretti's keep approaching him to sell the team, but there's no point in him selling the team anymore. So now I think he kind of realized that the Russian money at this point is not worth it. They never wanted to have Mazepin in that seat. They just no. needed the money and they never wanted to get rid of Magnuson. So they have Magnuson back. Now they have Gene Haas is going to put the money in. They've saved all of last year's money. They didn't spend a dollar on that car and it goes to show um, so coming up on this year, they kind of rid themselves from all that toxicity. They've got all the money for their 2022 car. Uh, you can even see it in drive to survive. Like Mazepin, like kind of was an asshole the entire time. And the family was scared people scared. Like it's just like not threatening just in the terms of like, I don't know if they're actually putting us in, uh, in this sport. So I do think that obviously what's going on with, I'm glad you said Russians invasion of Ukraine because people keep saying the war, but I mean, if there's two, if there's a guy beating the crap out of someone else in an alleyway, that's not a fight. It's a guy getting his ass kicked. So that's basically what's happening right now. Um, And Ukraine's just defending themselves. So it's, it's horrible. It's awful. And the more things like this do happen, the better it will be for the world. I think like just rid of, of kind of situations like this to just kind of have some type of effect. And all, all F1 can do is stop, like Russian money from coming in. Um, and I do think that uh, on the, like, even looking past all that stuff now, Haas is set up for success this year. Um, Mick Schumacher is a driver. Magnuson is a driver. They never wanted him to go. So him being back is great. Uh, he's a good teammate. He's like, they, they are, they're going to be sneaky good. We heard, I mean, we heard, I think it was Norris, come out this week suggesting yeah you gotta watch out for Haas Haas is one one of I mean one of McLaren's specific competitors here moving mm-hmm. forward they had a really great season 2019 2020 uh 21 fell off a bit but uh hopefully with you know the the even competition moving into the field we're gonna see an improvement for Haas uh, Jordan I, I said um, I, I mentioned to you Mercedes uh, a few days ago mercedes is coming out saying that this is not the car that we expected this is this is not uh the kind of uh uh, competition that we want to be moving forward with your response to that was well they're just tempering expectations this is something that they always do what the hell is happening with mercedes is this just another front are they are they putting on a show here so that when hamilton and russell get behind uh, the wheel, we see something completely different. Yeah, one hundred percent. This is this has been this has been like literally, Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes have have done this every single year for like six or seven years in a row. They always come out and say, "Ah, the car is not where we want it to be. The car is not great. Oh, you know, I don't know if we'll compete right away. It'll take us a little while to get our footing." Look, you're not you're not eight times constructors champions in a row. Even if you've got regulation changes, you're not eight times championships in a row. If you aren't 
full of really talented people in that garage. And it goes beyond just the drivers. It goes just on beyond just like the, the, the heads of department. I mean, they have had the resources and the money to stockpile amazing engineers, amazing mechanics, amazing every single department. This is this is maybe the greatest dynasty of the last 20 years. If you actually look at sport, they are dominating and have dominated with with really no competition for all of that period of time. Is it going to be a different year for them than it previously was? Sure. There's a lot of changes. We're going to talk about the cars in a little bit. There's a lot of changes. That's hard for every team, especially, I would argue, Red Bull and Mercedes, who had to put everything they had into every single race up to the end last year um, to, to, to finish off last season, where a lot of teams realized pretty early on this ain't going well and threw their resources towards the next season. That's why Ferrari has an advantage or a head start. That's why, you know, Aston Martin and McLaren have got a little bit more of a jump out the gate because they already were focused on this car when the other guys were still in a, you know, a slug fest. But, no, I don't believe anything Lewis Hamilton says when it comes to preseason uh, uh, emotion. They are an incredibly good war game operation. They are incredibly good at saying one thing and actually knowing that better things are coming. Look, they they brought out a bullshit fake B B list car for the first off season practice. They literally ran a car that was a carbon copy of the model Formula One had used as an example for all the teams to build their cars on with almost no changes. All they were worried about was running their power unit and making sure all of that was good. And then they brought out the whole completely redesigned car when they got to Bahrain last week. And I don't know why anyone was surprised. This is what they've done every year for, you know what I mean? So it's, it, it, no, I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. Do I think that they're going to be looking for a few, you know, weeks like they're still in development? Yes. We saw that in, in drive to survive. They weren't ready last year, hundred percent either, um, but they figured it out pretty damn quick. And I think that that'll be the case here. They have two, I think they have the best driver lineup they've, ever had if not at least back to before Bottas Bottas was really good but he I'm sorry George Russell is a future world champion he's an incredibly talented and an incredibly hungry driver and he brings something new to this team and I think that um, once they figure this car out Mercedes is going to be fighting for the championship again just like they have for the last decade there's I'm not I until I'm proven otherwise it's like Tom Brady you don't bet against him until you you know until he's gone it's yeah. what we call coach speak Everything they're saying right now is just coach speak. So uh, not coach speak, but uh, Formula One speak. I'm confused about porpoising. uh, And I'm sure a lot of F1 fans who are newer to the sport like I am are also. Tyler, I'm wondering if you're able to kind of lead people into understanding why dolphins are involved in this sport. So, yeah, I mean, I can in terms of I think Jordan will be better to explain it. But for me, the easiest way I can say it is that with these new cars, there has been a um, basically they've changed the ground floor. So it's a, it's a different ground effect that's forcing the, the bottom of the car to hug the tarmac closer. But um, it's the first time it's being used. So basically you are getting a, a spring effect between the ground and the bottom of the car that is called porpoising, which is it's basically just kind of bouncing up and down and be, just because of the airflow. And it, it, 
it almost feels like basically like turbulence that you'd have in a plane, but the faster you go and the more it is, the more it gets into rhythm and the higher it goes and the lower it goes. So basically the guys in the, sitting in the seats are just kind of bouncing along like it's a bumpy road, but that's the simplest way I can, I can explain it. Um, it's just that the, there's a, an airflow that hasn't been solved yet with these new ground effects. So what you're, what you're saying is we're going to start seeing these cars bouncing long. I, I, yeah, I don't know if you'll see it, oh, God, but as much as they feel it. Yeah. Like right. to us, it, you might not notice it too much um, to the common viewer, to the person that just watches the races on Sundays and doesn't dive too deep into it. I don't know if you'll notice it, but they're going to talk about it. And it definitely affects the driver after he gets out of the car after practice and tries to sit at home. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of aspirin and Advil involved um, after those, after those tests. Wow. Yeah, you'll see it in slow motion for sure. And that's where the term mm. porpoising came from. It looks a little bit like a dolphin sort of skipping in and out of the water because there's a bounce effect that's occurring. Basically what's happening, Tyler did a pretty good job explaining it. I'll just give you a little history of, of the floors of these F1 cars. So in the 1970s, we had what was called the ground effect era. It was when a technology was used to develop sort of channels on the bottom of the car. Basically, one of the key pieces of Formula One is to be able to race at high speed, you have to be able to create downforce, right? You've got to be able to push the car into the ground so it doesn't take off like an airplane um, because you're moving at such a high rate of speed. That's why you've got the front wing and the, and the, and the rear wing on the, v, on the car. It's all about creating the optimal downforce to be able to you know, reduce sliding, keep the car moving in a straightforward line. There's multiple ways to do that. For the last you know, 25, 35, almost 40 years, I think since the 1980s, we've had flat bottomed cars. There's no ground effect being created by the bottom of the car. All the downforce is being done externally on the upper part of the aero package. We've introduced these channels now that every car now has to, there's a standard one that all of the cars have. No car gets to sort of fuck around too much with the bottom of their car. So it's a standard ground package. But as Tyler said, what it does is it, it, it sucks the car the ground force is being is, the air is being channeled out from underneath the car and it's as the, the higher rate of speed your car is being sucked down to the ground the problem is at some point there is a maximum distance between the ground and the car physically that it can get to and that creates like a vacuum effect and the air that's stuck under there is at such a high pressure it wants to push that car back up and so when you hit that sort of optimal place and unfortunately it's a top speed on a straightaway the car is constantly in this sort of physics fight between being sucked to the ground and being pushed back up by air. And so you do get this, this effect kind of happening at high rate of speed. So it's creating this, this effect for the drivers. It's the same effect. You know, if you were to blow under a piece of paper or something, you'd get this ripple effect. There's only really one way to fix it. And they're going to have to work on this. And that's about changing the weight distribution in these cars. These are the heaviest formula one cars we've ever had, um, which is a huge thing. And already teams are worried that their cars are going to be overweight. So they're not allowed to be heavier than a certain amount and they can't be lighter than a certain amount. And they got to find the sweet spot, but they're already concerned the, about how they're going to cut weight because you've got all of these, this technology in there that's heavy. Um, you know, the drivers are all going to be to weight. They, we don't have overweight drivers. So you have to figure out where in the car, but teams are already requesting the permission to like add weights to the back of the car to affect the ground mm. effect. So it's, it, it is, it, it, it's unfortunate and painful for the drivers. It looks funny in slow motion, but the truth is it's a new challenge that as this era of cars moves forward and the, you know, and, and this could take years, they're going to figure out exactly how to make the ground effect work. But if you can get ground effect in that optimal space, 
it is the best way to create downforce. And we could see over time, these cars increase their speed potential because of it. Which also does, it helps the racing, which is a a big, is why they do it is because the lower, what was happening the last few years is that if you're following somebody in their wind, then your, your car's lifting higher. So this is forcing it down so that you can stay closer to a driver in front of you, which will increase the racing, which will increase the passes and the, the, the overtakes. The, yeah. yeah. Overtakes. So yeah. it's, it is a good thing in the long run. It's just, you're right. It's just getting to that point where it's been finessed. Yeah, we've seen, exactly. So we've seen new regulations come into place in terms of, you know, trying to even the playing field, bringing competition closer together. We're, we're seeing a new front wing now too. We're seeing like an arrow looking thing. Yeah. Are there other features here that we should, we should touch on the front wing, the new things, the front wing and the rear wing are both new. Okay. So the, the front wing is just a little more simplified. It's also meant to help specifically for following another car. And the rear wing is it's more curved and it's a little bit smaller. So the DRS probably isn't going to be as impactful as it has uh, been over the last few years. Um, and then the other, the other new thing besides those two wings that it's going to be is that the tires are five inches bigger than they were last year. They're 18 inch tires now, which is also what has added to the weight of the cars. So it's going to help improve the handling of the cars. Um, So all of these things are meant to keep cars closer together. Yeah. What's interesting though, is that all of these things are in the ideal, right? So the, 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 this is all theoretical. This has been designed and, and tested and all of that, but now you've got these teams trying different things out with them. And I think what we have learned from off season testing is these cars are still pretty unruly and there's a very steep learning curve for these drivers in terms of getting these cars to do what they want um, or, or um, learn what the car needs are as far as how it needs to be driven and what's fun i guess is that across the board that seems to be the case for every team every team is is having their own kind of growing pains in different ways depending exactly on how they've interpreted this design um sort of formula but but it's definitely going to be an interesting challenge as we go into a few of these early races to see how teams adapt to actual racing conditions too, um, because they, they will figure out really quickly what has maybe worked in the simulator may not work in the real world quite as planned. Well, and the, the, so for people who, who are just getting into F1, what happens is where you finish in the standings determines how much wind tunnel time you get. So the wind tunnel is basically where all this stuff is figured out, where, where all the aerodynamics of the car and everything has been kind of perfected. So Haas, I believe was last, last, last year, Haas and Williams get the most time in a wind tunnel to perfect um, their cars and figure these situations out. So theoretically, their teams have more time to figure out the aerodynamics and the balances right. and the ground effect than um, Mercedes or Red Bull do. Mercedes and Red Bull probably have a little bit more money in terms of hiring people uh, on a, like another tier, but it, that is an advantage that the lower bottom teams have, especially this year, season because of the new car. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And those 18 inch tires are ugly as shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other big all over the track. The other really big thing, and this became another sort of key thing coming out of off-season testing, the the really dramatic um, differences in the designs were seen mostly in the side pods, um, which is all about cooling your vehicle. So you've got these different, very different interpretations of sort of the regulations by different teams and how they've chosen to interpret them and how they've been able to figure out airflow the the most dramatic one we first saw was the ferrari which is just these huge like bird baths on each side of the car just massive 
Um, but you know, it seems, it seems to be a, a design idea that they have. What, that's, what's so fun about formula one in some ways is that there is real creativity for these engineers and designers of these cars where they're really trying to figure out how do I maximize performance staying within these rules and regulations and how, you know, how far can I push, you know, the, the physics and all of that. The other two real interesting ones, then the first the first round of testing in Barcelona, all the attention was on Red Bull because Red Bull had this very unique side pod design. It was basically hollowed out at the bottom. So it was a very high set side pods, very little um, side pod at all uh, to the bottom of the vehicle. And obviously a lot of teams were taking a lot of time to look at that and go, hmm, interesting, what are they trying to do here with this? And then, when, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when Mercedes showed up in Bahrain, they brought an entirely new car. It almost had no side pods at all. It looks like a shark. Mm. Like the thing is tiny. And the most impressive thing about it is how on earth they're moving air through that vehicle at all, considering how you know important these side pods have been for every other design. But they've figured something out. They've moved their radiators up higher in the back of the chassis. They've they've really, really been creative. Is it right? We don't know. We're going to find out over time. Is it, is, does it change anything in the durability of these cars? You know, how does this car drive in, you know, the extreme heats of, of the desert when they're out there versus, you know, the humidity of somewhere like, like Brazil, like we're going to find out when, when the, when the rubber really hits the road in the season, if, if who was right and whose design is right. We'll also find out which teams uh, are who, who, which teams are worried about which teams, because you know that the next thing that's going to start happening here is, is challenges to the regulations. And we all know how much Red Bull loves yeah. to, to throw, you know, red, you know, um, uh, challenges towards Mercedes and they'll go and to ask for clarification on the regulations. And were they cheating here? Were they cheating here? You know, they, they caught Mercedes a few years ago using, you know, active differential inside their car by being able to move the steering wheel to adjust the angle of the wheels. And that was banned from the sport after Red Bull sort of caught them. But at the time it wasn't illegal. Mercedes was just the first team to figure it out. You know, that's mm -hmm. how innovation happens. And un unfortunately, sometimes Formula One puts their foot down, but we'll see. Well, it seems like we're like right in the heart of innovation for this sport. You know, the things that we're, I mean, Tyler, you're scoffing at the idea of, of Christian Horner and Red Bull going at, all of these complaints and stuff like that, but don't you think that is a part of the sport, at least right now where we're at, or would you rather see the sport in a very structured, this is how it goes. And, and there should, you know, there shouldn't be room for any of those complaints. I just think that the Red Bull specifically, their complaints aren't um, like, and if they don't come from a sporting place, they come from a place where like, Hey, that's not fair. It's not, it's like the little brother who's yeah, just yeah. constantly being pushed at an arm's length because his older brother has a bigger wingspan. Like, I don't think that it's just like, Hey, like this, there's an illegal part of their car. It's them going, Hey, we didn't do that. So we're upset. Mm -hmm. um, the only like kind of thing that I found interesting really about this new drive to survive was there's a, there's a scene where, um, Lewis Hamilton during one of the red flags is just standing, what looking at the Red Bull car. And then he goes back to his car and he says, they have three little slashes right here. Yeah. We should figure out what those are for. Instead of being like, get rid of these three slashes. We don't know what's going on. It's like, they, he just goes with Toto and says, let's figure out what this is and build from it. Yeah. 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 So yeah. instead of Red Bull saying, how do they do that? How do we do that? They say, how do they do that? Get rid of it. Yeah. All right, guys. Any final thoughts and takeaways from, uh, from off-season testing here? I mean, other than the fact that, you know, I'm tired of all this foreplay. Let's get down to it. I'm ready for racing. You know what I mean? I, the thing I have, the, I have the problem with 
with these practices and the, the off season, I have the same problem with every sport is that you don't know what's real and you don't know what's not real. Yeah. It's preseason. It's exhibition. It's, you know, yeah. even in, even in hockey or basketball or, or, or baseball, you're going to start seeing some of the guys that, you know, that's not the team. That's not the yeah. team yet. That's not how they're going to play yet. So. And like even last year, Ferrari was having the fastest test labs, but they were running with less fuel than everybody right. else. So like that leads to faster time. So you never know. And you never know who wants to actually show their cards. So you can't trust it. I don't think you can trust it. It's cool. It's interesting. It's probably good for the teams to learn things, but as fans or as people trying to predict the sport, I don't know if you can trust it at all. All right. We'll be right back. Do you or someone, you know, own a small business? Are you looking to grow or to reach new customers? Hey, why not let us help? Hattrick is looking for unique brands, businesses, and products to advertise on our show. You can find out how we can help spread the word about your business by contacting us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Okay, we have a a very exciting new segment here on our show that we are introducing entitled F1 for Dummies. And Jordan, I'm going to let you tee this off. Yeah, so... um... Elliot Tanti, who's on Hattrick with us, had this great idea. Actually, last year he was he was listening to some of our episodes and he was sort of going, you know, I really want to get into Formula One. I've watched the show like I'm really interested in it. But there are, there's just so much uh, that makes the sport up. And he said that it would be great if we did like a primer, or like an introduction or like a F1 for dummies where we could just sort of have people ask questions. And, you know, maybe it's like terminology or specific little detail things that just help make the sport more enjoyable. It's like what Tyler was saying. Once you start like understanding how it works, it's a lot more fun to sort of follow along and watch. And, and Netflix did a good job of that, but you know, there's always going to be other things. So Elliot is, is it's, it's an all Elliot mailbag, but he has provided us with seven questions. Um, Some of them are really straightforward and simple. And some of them are a little bit more interesting. So um, we'll play his clips and then uh, we'll see who wants to jump in and answer these questions and we'll try to get people. So if you're not used to formula one or you're new to formula one, or you're listening to this being like, you know, I just want to learn a little bit more. Maybe this'll, this'll be a good primer for you. Are you guys ready? Okay. Here's your first yeah. question. Can you explain to me how race weekend works? Like what's practice? Why does it matter? What's qualifying? Why does it matter? what's this new type of qualifying and how does that all impact <laughs> race day on Sunday? Tyler, you want to take this first? That yeah. Was like, so that was like five questions. All. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that five of the seven? Um, so basically you get three practice sessions uh, before qualifying and practice sessions, because every track is different. So your setup to your car is going to be a little different for each track. The tire uh, alignments are going to be different. The tire sets are going to be different. So you have to go into each track kind of knowing what you're going to do three weeks in advance, but you want to be able to do these practice sessions in one, the weather that it's going to be in the tires that you want to run and different settings like wing settings, wedge settings, um, whether you want to be front heavy, back heavy, um, all that stuff you want to try out practice for your fastest possible car, which you will then take to qualifying where it's three sessions. Um, Five people get knocked out of the first quarter qualifying, five people out of the second qualifying into the final 10 qualifying, um, which is super exciting. And it, it means a lot. It means that if you qualify first, you start at the first, you don't have to go through traffic um, because your car runs differently in traffic than it does in clean air. 
Um, it's a that's a huge thing with aerodynamics and and which they're trying to fix now with these new cars. Um, that is the simplest way to put that. The now the new uh, qualifying called sprint qualifying, which is very I think it's very exciting um, and it has advantages for certain drivers like Ricardo. In you can see in um, the new Drive to Survive took advantage of sprint qualifying. Lewis Hamilton took advantage of uh, sprint qualifying this past season as well. So it's and what that is is you do your regular qualifying the same day that you have your last practice, and then that qualifying determines where you start in a sprint race, which is basically like I think it's eight percent or yeah. Yeah, yeah eighteen laps of what the regular race is, and then that wherever you finish in that race, you you start that race in so it just gives teams uh more advantage so that it's not only your fastest lap it's actually some driver in traffic going through um and it, it does start from practice one which i i don't watch all, all the practices every week that's it's a tough thing to do but i mean it, it the way that your first three practices go will determine how you qualify how you qualify will determine one if you're in the top 10 qualifying you're stuck on that wheel set to start the race is also a disadvantage for people who qualify but obviously you're then in the top 10 so that all leads down to what eventually starts on race day and all of this was formatted so that the race could be kept close specifically with the tire choices um the day before the actual race very very go. very very thorough very correct all I of try to be race. quick i try to be and quick, quick too. which is good yeah i know there's lots of questions to get to um <laughs> you gotta have the fastest time in this mailbag maybe that's right there you go top qualifying all right let's go uh let's go to elliot's next question can you help explain to me what drs is why it's important and why you can only use it some of the time uh brayden you want to take this one or do you want me to do it i well i mean i can give my very novice uh explanation for what i think and I, i might be completely off here um but my understanding is it's drag Speed reduction system. Drag reduction system. And so on the back of your wing, it opens when you are within a uh, second from the person in front or the driver in front of you. And it only is open in three, I think, I, I want to say three, but it probably depends on each track, right? Um, there's a specific section in the, on the, in the, in the, in the race where you have that of, available to you. So the intent of that is to be able to get within one second in that, in that certain DRS zone for you to be able to either overtake or get closer uh, with your back wing open, which is, which is the DRS. Yeah. That's how do I do. No, that was very good. Yeah. Basically oh. there, the, the idea was to reduce drag, to increase the opportunity for overtaking and, and, and allow the car that's chasing to, to have a little bit of an extra advantage. So they, it increases sometimes up to like 15, 16 kilometers of additional speed, depending on the track and all of those things. But yeah, there's a, there's a detection zone. You got to be within a second of the car that you're chasing. Um, and then the, the driver is able to hit the DRS button when he crosses a specific line, he crosses that line the the back wing opens and and that's that. Now, why is it only at certain places? That's the last part of Elliot's question. That is because it is a speed advantage that you don't want these cars to have in like S turns or in a chicane where a high rate of speed would be additionally dangerous. Um, so it's usually always on a straightaway 
Uh, sometimes it's on a slightly like banked uh, section of the track, but traditionally it's on a straightaway because you got to be able to to use that speed to your advantage flat out. Um, it would be very dangerous in in like a you know cops corner or something. So it's only in specific parts of the track because it's only an advantage, and it's also only available under certain conditions, and and it can be turned on and off by race control. So if there's an incident or or something, they turn it off uh, as a precaution. When I hear someone say park firma, what does that mean? So park firma is um, that comes with uh, the qualifying. So park firma is qualifying. And it basically, it means that you cannot change your car. It has been set. You've qualified in a certain aspect um, at a certain level where you are not allowed to change the, um, the settings of your car, the tires of your car. This gives an advantage to anyone who's behind you that didn't qualify as good to try to stay in the race as long as possible. Yeah, it's to prevent teams from tampering with their cars after it's been set so that they are racing in the same condition. It's also interesting because we did have a situation last year near the end of the year where other teams are also not allowed to touch uh, or or uh, interfere with anyone else's car once they're in park Ferme, right? So uh, Max Verstappen received a penalty last year for touching the rear wing of the Mercedes post-qualifying. Um, so he's also not allowed to do that. It's basically to prevented any kind of tampering from happening before the race. And you so, can choose to not not stay in park firm, but you right. will be penalized and put that's right back of either the back of the field or five places back or 10 places back based on what you did change. Yeah. And if your car has an actual mechanical issue, then it may be necessary, but you are you're penalized for it. Yeah, so exactly. just I mean, OK, so I understand. So I want to lead. I want to jump off with another question here. Uh, as someone trying to further understand that in terms of the how the sport works, what what is actually in the way of that? Hap- like, why why can't they do that? Why can't why can't we see you know uh, engineers improving the car throughout the race? Well, well you, they can throughout you, the race. Once the yeah. race starts, you're no longer in Park Ferme. Oh, okay. The window oh, okay. of Park yeah. Ferme is between the end of qualifying and the Two first lap of the race. Of Okay. And okay. Your car cannot change condition between those. Obviously you, you can fuel the car, you know, and they have to make sure the car is functional, but right. the idea was. You can't slap duct tape up on there until the race actually starts. You, there are very specific things you can and can't do in park Ferme, And there's Got a very it. long list of those things. As mm-hmm. Tyler said, you can't change major com- mechanical components. You can't change your tires. You can't change. Those are the, you know, those are the situations that, that, that would fall under the, the category of park Ferme. which basically just so that we're clear, where does the term come from in French? It literally means closed park because in old time racing, your car would be taken from you post qualifying into like a gated area locked up. So no one could touch it and then brought out for the race obviously you know teams get their cars before races but you know what i'm saying it's it, that, that, that's kind of how it works so uh let's move forward with elliot's next question how much is becoming a driver skill versus how much money you can bring in for a team tyler <laughs> um those two things come hand in hand your drivers the skill of your driver is going to get you more money the name of your driver is going to get you more money um the the name of your car is going to get you more money. Uh, it's I don't know. It's you can't look at that and and enjoy this sport. It's not <laughs> it's not one of those like you can't come to this race and go oh Haas is going to win this race. It's not a sport where every single Sunday something different can like somebody can win the race. You have to find the intricacies of levels and tiers within F one. And once you understand those intricacies, you will be hooked on this sport. I guarantee it. But the names like 
the reason that um like you can have the shittiest car shittiest driver in the world like mazapan and bring in money <laughs> so it doesn't it money but mazapan wasn't a talented racer to begin with correct uh but but his but he brought money, but he um, brought schumacher, money. schumacher was specifically brought to haas because of his father's name and they wanted to get an entire country to follow their car to bring in more money so the but obviously the more you win the more money you bring in which is why mercedes keeps getting more money why red bull keeps getting more money the whole point is now that we have this new car things are we're trying to close the gap between one and 20 but but don't think like that when you watch this sport think like these top three teams are trying to win this weekend and everybody else gasly i don't watch sunday gasly's my favorite driver i do not watch the race on sunday morning and go i hope gasly wins this race i watch and go man if gasly can be top six that's a that's an unbelievable day so you once you find these tiers and you'll find them quickly they talk about them every single race once you find these tiers you will start to to cheer for certain people you'll start to cheer for certain teams I'm fired up. <laughs> but all that to say, though, like it is, I mean, it's a great question because it does lead mm-hmm. into the elitism of this sport as well and how this sport is incredibly inaccessible for somebody who wants to pick it up and make it to the F to F1. There, there's a there's a lot of uh, detailed layers and intricacies that go into, uh, you know, making it uh, on the circuit. Who determines that there are 10 teams and 20 drivers? Could there be 11 teams? Uh, yeah, there totally could be. And then and there's been a lot Bring of conversation about that this off season about um, Andretti Motors, want, or, you know, motor racing wanting to come over and bring a new team to F1. And um, right now, Formula One, I think, is comfortable with 20 teams it, it, or pardon me, 10 teams, 20 drivers. Um, it's just how, how it's sort of been recently, but it, it hasn't always been like that. And there's no rest- right now, there is no restriction on how many teams can be in. It, the only restriction is that if you if you sign up a new team to F1, you have to pay two hundred million dollars total to split amongst all the other teams. Yeah. So that's kind of what's holding people back is you have to show the financial backing to one have a car, have two cars, and then you also have to have two hundred million dollars just to give away. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Bring on Team Porsche. They're talking. Could be. Could be. That's what I'm excited for. All right, here we go. Here we Explain go. to me how two people can be on the same team but still race against each other. Are they both trying oh. to win? Are they trying is one trying to help the other? And what does it mean to be on a team? Well, I'll jump in really quick then. What I'll say is this. Yes, they're competing against each other. And yes, sometimes they're helping each other. That's the fun of it. And that's kind of the dynamic of it. There are two championships happening simultaneously the entire season. You have a driver's championship that is an individual. That's the prestigious one. One guy at the end of the season is going to be the world champion. And then you have a constructor's championship, which is the championship for the teams. So you've got 10 teams in Formula One right now. They are all competing with each other, using both of their two drivers to collect as many points as they can. At the end of the season, the team with the most points wins the constructor's championship. Um, So you need both drivers on your team to be doing well and getting good results if you have a hope of winning the constructor's title. Um, That being said, one of your drivers also needs to be the best of all those individual drivers, right? And so that's what's that's what happens. That's why when you look at Mercedes dominance, yes, they've dominated. They've won eight constructors championships in a row, 
but all but one of those was also won by Lewis Hamilton. They've had two drivers, but one of them has been their championship driver. Nico Rosberg, obviously being the exception who beat Hamilton. And that is a fascinating year when you look back at it, because that's two, two equal competitors for the same team who were fighting each other for the championship. Um, but also you look back at last year, Sergio Perez and Valtteri Bottas, who are the second drivers for those two teams. They're critical in helping get their teams as constructors close to winning. And in, in Sergio Perez's case, he really helped Max Verstappen in a lot of situations push his own personal championship forward in the last race yeah and including the last race yeah for sure and that's the big piece of it there's there's strategy from a team perspective that is so multi-dimensional that you do not have in other sports that i think like tyler was saying once you start to see the matrix of this whole thing it's fascinating to watch because there's so many moving parts it's not just as simple as you know, any given Sunday, somebody can win. Um, there's so many more uh, internal little battles going on that are really, really exciting. That was Elliot's last question, Braden. So there you go. That's, awesome. That's F1 for dummies. Um, edition one. Hopefully we answered all your questions, Elliot. Okay. We're going to hit up some hot takes, bold predictions for the upcoming 2022 season. We've got uh, an exciting race coming up here. I'll tell you about the moment. Um, Tyler, what are you excited for here moving into this season? Um, well, overall this season, I, I'm mostly excited just to see how these cars do react considering they're brand new cars. Um, I believe that Mercedes will finish at the top at the end of the season when it's all said and done. Um, this weekend I'm excited for because Bahrain, Bahrain is known to be kind of a race where anything can happen. Uh, it's a good starting race. Um, I'm, I'm just excited to see these teams because I don't think we're going to get the same, like anywhere near what we had last year in terms of constructors. Like I think Alfa Romeo will finish last place. I think Mercedes will finish first. I think Ferrari has a good chance to finish second. Um, I think Red Bull might take a step back, but that's because I am a Red Bull hater. Um, they could easily win first place. I mean, it's they've got arguably the best driver in the world right now. Um, I, I'm scared about Alpha Tori because I don't know how Sonata is going to do. I know Gasly is going to pull it out. They, I know that Alpha Tori has been struggling with their porpoising more than any other car right now. Um, so I, I just excited to see what these teams are going to do after the first race. And we'll kind of then after this first race, have a little bit more of an understanding of how the rest of the season is going to go. Um, I, I am excited for Haas. I don't, I think Haas is going to do well. I think Williams will do okay. Um, but I think I think if I had a hot take this this uh, right now, I have to say I think Mick Schumacher finishes on the podium at some point this year. Ooh, that'd be awesome! That'd be so much fun to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it happens. Hot yeah. take. Hot take. There you go. Hot take. Uh, Jordan, what are you most looking forward to seeing? I know you've you've been very excited to see Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton's comeback after what was a devastating end to the season. What do you, what, what is your big hot take? Uh, yeah, no, I am excited for that. I, as we said, you know, in the end, I don't believe that you should ever put uh, a seven time world champion in a corner. Uh, and I think that that's what they've done. Um, one of the big takeaways I took from uh, the very end of um, uh, the season, uh, the, the, the Netflix series this year was just, you know, the reminder that Lewis Hamilton drives really well when he's angry. Uh, and I hope he's still got a little bit of that fire in the belly. I think, 
you know, he certainly had some time to cool off, but I hope that uh, coming into the season, he's still fired up and ready to go. Um, so yeah, no, I'm excited for that for sure. But I am like Tyler, just really excited to see what these cars do. I'm excited for the return of Ferrari. I really do believe they have put the money and resources because they just gave up so quickly last year on their car, knowing that this was coming. I think they're the most prepared of all of the big teams to really make a statement. Um, if I was making bold predictions, I believe that you will see a Ferrari on the podium next weekend. I don't know if they're winning the race, but they will definitely be competing for that win. Um, because I think that they're the most prepared or one of the most prepared teams. I would also say that I'm really, really excited to see what George Russell has to do with Mercedes. I really do think he is a really special talent. And we saw just a tiny taste of it uh, two seasons ago when he filled in for Lewis Hamilton and had it not been for just a devastatingly pathetic uh, pit stop um, where they mixed up the tires on the double stack. Uh, he would have probably won that race. Um, so he has yet to, to, to make an F1 podium. And I think he'll be doing it in the next couple of weeks too. Um, so excited for that and excited just to see how uh, a lot of the new drivers sort out, you know, we've got new drivers at alpha, uh, alpha Romeo, I should say how Bottas and that team do, obviously, you know, they're kind of a down the table team too, but now they've got a really talented driver in there comes from a great pedigree. It'll be interesting to see how he, how he does. And, um, and I'm excited to see Kevin Magnuson back. I made a joke about it on Hattrick the other day, but I, I actually do think that, like Tyler said, Haas could be really interesting. We'll see. My bold I, prediction, I like though, is, is the George Russell one. I think he's the first Mercedes driver of the two of them to win a race. I think he gets there before Lewis does. I think Charles Leclerc makes the podium this weekend, nice. and I think Russell causes a lot of problems over there at Mercedes. I would not be surprised if at some point over the next five races there is a Mercedes and Mercedes collision. Interesting. Mm. We'll see. This is some good hot takes. My hot take basically is that my team McLaren finishes uh, on the podium um, uh, like 75% of the races this season. Wow. Uh, 75%. <laughs> well, they're winning. They're probably winning the constructors title then, Brady. They better. They better. They better. <sighs> Norris is going to take another step, and I think uh, Ricardo is going to prove to everybody why he is still a competitive driver. Hey, is I he going to race this weekend? No, I don't think so. Well, I, well he, so he was out with COVID last weekend. It depends how long the quarantine depends they make him do now. And if he's still he has to pop, he has system, to test, he has to test negative to race. But if you remember, Lewis Hamilton was in a similar situation when he tested positive uh, two seasons ago. He did race a race after the one he missed, so it could be. We'll see to see how fast he tests it's negative. I will say this, Braden, you made me think I do have one more bold prediction. And I think that we are going to see more new race winners this season than we have ever seen. And that could just be like two or three guys, oh, yeah. but yeah. I really do think that there is the opportunity with these new cars for a couple of these younger guys to get their first wins. I think Norris gets a win, even if it's just one, I really do think he was close last year. Obviously Monza was great for Daniel Ricardo, but I think Norris finds a way to win a race this season. And I think that uh, George Russell wins a race this season. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's one more guy in there who finds Carlos a way to Carlos yeah, actually, you're right. Yeah, he hasn't won. Yeah. So there with Ferrari. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, there you go. There's three right there. Now, before hot take, who has the biggest fall? Which driver has the the, the, the biggest, biggest fall from last year? Yeah. I mean, uh, well, bot, I mean, Bottas, I guess, but tech that's just technically speaking, right? Because yeah, the car that he's in and the circumstance that he's been. I mean, you could see Alfatori actually do a little bit better because of that, but uh 
I, I don't think Aston Martin's going to have a good time again this season. I think Alpine's probably going to have a bit of regression as well. Actually, yeah, that would so. be one. I think that Alpine. I think that that Ocon had a great season last year. I don't think that they're going to be able to be where they were last year. Yeah, it'll be yeah. tough. That'll be tough for them. I also so much, don't think so that much. Aston Martin and Vettel. I don't think Vettel and Lance Stroll, man. I don't think. So. I don't know why he's. I mean, well, that's that's a perf, that's another prime example of a, a, a driver who is not at the tier and talent that you need to be at for a Formula One. But he comes with money, and he comes with uh, this. You know, the his his dad owns a team. That's why he's there. I don't think there's any other reason there he shouldn't that he should be there. Okay, well, we've got a, an exciting race uh, coming up this weekend. We are finally here. March 18th, we get kickoff uh, the first practice for the Formula One Golf Air Bahrain Grand Prix. We've got two practices March 18th. The Friday, uh, Saturday, we've got practice three and a qualifying. Yep. And then we've got our race March 20th. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, tuning in. You can find our pit stop podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast uh we've got a show next tuesday go get them gasly pit stop podcast is a presentation of the ordinary podcasting network thanks for listening